Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are worthy of our worship and praise, and we know that you are the one true and living God. We thank you today for Jesus. And as we turn again to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that your spirit would speak to us. God, I pray that each of us would gain one piece of information today that would allow us to know you better, to love you more, to serve you more faithfully, and to experience your truth as a reality in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here. If you're here for the first time, we're so glad you're with us, and uh, we were expecting you today. I hope you uh, got some coffee or some uh, juice or water, whatever, and some cookies, and I saw there were cinnamon rolls this morning. That's always a special thing when they have that. But anyway, uh, here we are in the middle of a series, and I'm going to introduce today's message by telling you about some ancient history. Back in the 1970s. Okay, I was a freshman in college, and I had a part-time job, and in the summer, it was a full-time job at a lumber yard. And basically, what I did was I would, you know, take somebody's slip, and I would fill their truck up with building materials, or else I would fill up at one of the company's trucks and go deliver it. Well, one of our best customers happened to be Nancy's Uncle Lowry, and uh, Nancy, for those of you who don't know, is my wife. At that time, she was my girlfriend, and Lowry was a builder. He built new homes, and Frank was his son, and he was the foreman of the crew. And one day, Frank came to pick up some supplies. And he said to me, hey, Chris, how much do they pay you to work here? I said, three bucks an hour. He said, three bucks an hour? I wouldn't get out of bed for three bucks an hour. I said, well, then why don't you give me a job that pays more? I've always been sort of shy and reticent. You probably know that about me. Anyway, after a brief discussion, Frank agreed to give me another part-time job. I could work with him in the evenings and on Saturdays. And so after about a month of working with him, doing carpentry work on evenings and Saturdays, he said, hey, why don't you ask Dad for a job? And I thought I had a pretty good chance of getting in, you know, being he was the foreman of the daytime crew as well as the boss of the evening crew. But the thing for me was, when I was at the lumber yard, I was always loading stuff, and I didn't even know what it was for. You know, I mean, I knew what these, they were all building materials, but I didn't know how this worked and that worked. And with Frank, I had started learning how this stuff was, you know, was used in new homes or old homes and remodeling all that. And I knew if I took a job with Laurie, I would learn even more, and, and I love learning. I've always loved learning, and I mean, you know, I'm a pastor, so I, yes, I do love reading the Bible and learning what it says, but I've always learned learning, I've loved learning skills, um, electrical work, carpentry, that kind of thing, sports, you know, those are skills, you have to sort of learn the rules, learn how to play. I've always learned, uh, I've loved learning about words. In fact, when we had our children, when they were growing up, they would say, Daddy, what does this word mean? And I would never tell them what it meant. I would say, bring the dictionary. Now you can just go to dictionary.com. But back in those days, you actually had a book, you know. A dictionary had all the words in alphabetical order. And they would learn, look up the words. And then sometimes I didn't even know what the words meant, so I would learn something new. But learning has always been one of my greatest loves. And that's a good thing because today, as we're in the middle of a, well, actually towards the end of a series called The Time of Your Life, it's a seven-week series where we're talking about seven principles from Scripture that will change our lives if we know them and if we implement them in our daily lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the seven principles um, are rest, prayer, physical care, relationships, and today, study, and then next week, work, and uh, the final one is finances. And we've already talked about rest and prayer 
and physical care and relationships. And what we've seen is the Word of God has a lot to say about these things. And what we're going to find out today is the Word of God has a lot to say about the importance of study for our lives. And if we really want to have the time of our lives, we have to study. So what we're going to look at today, uh, first off, is a take-home point. For those of you who are new, we believe that it's important to actually go home and remember something and do something after we've been in worship when it comes to the message. And so the take-home point is the one thing that we want everybody to remember and then that we're going to take home and live out in this coming week. And during this series and only this series, all of the take-home points have rhymed. And so here it is today's. A focused brain reduces worldly strain. A focused brain reduces worldly strain. Now, we're going to talk a lot about what that means, but basically it means that if we learn things and apply them in the power of the Holy Spirit, it will change our lives in such a way that there'll be less strain in our lives. So, first thing, if we're going to talk about study, let's think about what does the word study mean? I looked it up on dictionary.com and it said this. It is the application of the mind to the acquisition of knowledge as by reading investigation or reflection. I I think that's a great definition of study because it doesn't just mean you have to read stuff, but you can actually study uh, processes. You can study, as I said, sports, skills, those kind of things. And then one of the best ways to study is to reflect. We, we experience something in our lives, and, you know, sometimes, you know, they say that life is, you know, a hard teacher because it gives the test, and then you <laughs> learn the lesson. And that's what happens sometimes. We, we have the test, and we fail, and then we learn the lesson. So that's what study is. Study is reading. It's investigating. It's reflecting. And we're going to talk about how that comes out in Scripture today. But before we do that, I want to make an assumption and, and, and I understand that not everybody here might be a follower of Jesus Christ at this moment. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we have an assumption. The assumption is that truth matters. Truth matters. We live in a culture, it's interesting, our culture says there's no absolute truth. Now, I don't know if our culture realizes how stupid that is. Because to say that there's no absolute truth is an absolute truth can't claim, right? If I say there's no absolute truth, then I just said something that's absolute. So there is truth, and there actually is at least one absolute truth, even if that is that there is no absolute truth, but there actually are a whole bunch of absolute truths. The culture here, about 70% of Americans don't believe there's any such thing as absolute truth. But here at New Life and in churches all over the world where God is worshipped as the one true and living God, we believe that this book is true, and it's absolutely true, and what it says will change our lives if we You know, if we study it and put it in our minds, and then it transmits into our hearts and our spirits. In fact, one of the things about study as it relates to Christians is it's supposed to impact our spirits, which is the part of us that connects to God, our souls, which is our mind and our emotions and our will, and our bodies. Our physical state is actually something that we can study, learn about, and be transformed as we study. So we believe that there is truth. And there's something, I learned this a number of years ago, reading a book called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, and the author of the book said, it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what's true. So, this book is true, it doesn't matter if we believe it or not, if it is true, it's true, and it doesn't matter if you believe there is absolute truth or not, if there is absolute truth, there is. And so we're going to go with the premise that this book is true, and as we turn to it today, we're going to find some things about study, which if we apply them in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on, then our lives will change. 
and we'll become more and more like Jesus. So first thing we're going to do today, if you have a Bible or Bible app, um, you could turn to it right now to the book of Joshua, which happens to be the sixth book in the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible. The sixth book is called Joshua. And Joshua was a man who actually had served Moses. Moses is one of the most famous people in history, not just one of the most famous people in the Bible, because Moses had done an amazing thing. First off, he had grown up in Egypt as a son, well, adopted son of the Pharaoh or the king. Lived there 40 years. He got to understand what it was to be Egyptian royalty. But then he was exiled for 40 years. So at the age of 80, God called him to go back to Egypt, not to live in the palace, but to deliver God's people, the Israelites, who had been in slavery in Egypt for some 400 years. So God used Moses to deliver the people from slavery. And then God used Moses during 40 years of wandering from Egypt to Israel. And if you know the geography of the Middle East, it should have taken about two weeks. Two weeks walking to get from Egypt to Israel. But it took 40 years because the Israelites were slow learners, literally. And and so Moses had got the the people of Israel, millions by this time, to the very edge of the promised land. In fact, all that separated the Israelites from the promised land was the river Jordan. And now Joshua was going to become the leader because God told Moses he was done. At the age of 120, Moses died and Joshua was given the, the mantle as the spiritual leader of Israel, but also the military leader. He was like the commander in chief of the Israelite army. So... As, as Joshua is getting ready to lead the troops and to lead the people into the promised land, which was now filled up with all these people, the, you know, the Canaanites and the Hivites and, the, and the, I don't know, Malachites and the Mosquito Bites, all those different Bites and Ites, right? They're all in there, and they're all worshiping pagan gods, idols. God says this. It's in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. It says this. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command, to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, God gives Joshua three commands. In the first command, he gives three times, which is be strong and courageous. Three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. And and then he gives a second command, which is to obey the instruction. And then the third one is study and meditate on the instruction. So if you're going to be strong and courageous and you're in Joshua's situation, that means to be a great military leader. You're going to go in and you're going to be bold and confident as you lead the troops against all of these different peoples. And there's another thing you have to do if you're the leader of Israel. You have to let the Israelites know that they must follow God because they haven't been good at that for the last 40 years. Actually, they've never been good at it, but they've really been bad at it during the 40 years they were in the wilderness. And God says, you have to obey me. So how is it that God says to Joshua that he's going to be able to be strong and courageous? Well, by obeying the instruction. And then it says, by studying and meditating on the, the word, which at that time would have been what we call the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what... That's what's going to make him strong and courageous. And you might be thinking, I would be thinking, 
hey, if I have to be the commander-in-chief of an army, what I probably want to do is to study the military strategy of my enemies. I want to find out what are their weaknesses, what are their strengths, right? I, I don't want to read a Bible if I'm a military commander. I, I want to read about or study about or investigate, spy out the land, find out what's going on in there, and find out how they fight so I can know how to fight better and win. And that would be true if Joshua was fighting on his own. If Joshua was fighting in a human way, then it would be necessary for him to find the strategy of his enemy and to overcome it. But God had made a promise, not only to Joshua, but to all the people of Israel. He said, I am going to fight for you. I'm going to be the one who drives the people out. All you have to do is obey me. And so if you're going to obey the living God of the universe, the first thing you have to know is you have to know about him and you have to know what he's commanded. And that's why Joshua has to study. So to be the greatest military leader in the Middle East, Joshua was told to study the word of God. It's a very interesting thing. Then you might say, well, wait a minute, Chris. We live on the resurrection side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I mean, this is an Old Testament account so what does it have to do with us? I mean, we don't have to study, you know, we don't have to study the word of God so we can go into a military battle. No, we don't, because Jesus conquered the two greatest enemies of all, sin and death. And he's given us a new life. So we we looking back on it can say, well, maybe maybe there's no application, but there is. There's an application, and the application is whatever we're called to do. Whatever we're called to do, we need to study the word of God. Because his instruction is going to give us the equipping that we need to do anything. Let's, let's look at another passage of scripture. It's from 2 Timothy, and it's in the New Testament. It's towards the end. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, who was called by God to plant churches all over the Middle East and even a little bit farther out than that, and, and who established leaders in all of those churches, and one of the leaders was Timothy, who was a pastor then, you know, Paul is telling Timothy what he needs to do in order to be a good pastor. And, and what he says in verse 15, it's just one verse, he says this, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. And you might say, well, Chris, there's, there's not even a mention of the word study there, is there? Well, no, there isn't. In fact, what Paul tells Timothy to do is to work hard. And the thing is, work hard at what? Well, work hard at being a pastor so you won't be ashamed and so you'll be able to do what? Rightly explain the word of truth. Well, how can you explain the word of truth if you don't know the word of truth? So Paul is telling Timothy that he's going to have to study the word of truth so that he can explain it to people in a right manner, in a true manner. And you might be sitting there saying, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm, I'm, my job isn't in the church. So how does this apply to me? It applies very directly to all of us, whatever our task might be in life, because of this, because it says work hard. When I was a carpenter, I worked very hard. I did my very best to be the very best carpenter I could be. I learned everything that Frank taught me. In fact, Frank was, uh, after a while, Frank was a little bit of a taskmaster because he realized that I learned fast. And so when he showed me something once, he expected me to remember it the next time, even if the next time was six months from then. And he'd say, didn't I show you that? And here's what I would always say, well, you showed Rick like a hundred times. And he'd say, you're not Rick, are you? I would say, no, I'm not. He said, I expect you to remember it. So I, I worked hard and I studied hard and I learned. But, but the thing is, 
when I was doing that, I recognized something because I, I had been reading this book already since I was six years old. And I realized that in Colossians 3.17, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, I knew I was working for Frank and Larry Fairman, but I really wasn't. I was working for God. In fact, there's a scripture I want to read to you. It's, it's not going to be up on the screen, but it says this in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a, as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving. I loved working for Frank and Lowry. In fact, I mean, it was the best job I ever had until I started working for the Lord, um, for full-time working for the Lord. I was working for the Lord when I worked for Lowry. I never, had an, I never had the illusion that I worked for Frank and Lowry Fairman. They gave me my paycheck, and, and I showed up, and I did the best I could for them, but I was always working for the Lord. And whatever your job is today, even if it's being a student you know, you might not be old enough to have a job outside of the home yet. You might not be able to have a paying job. But if you're a student, you're supposed to be a student for the Lord, not for the teachers, not for your parents. You know, that, that's the thing that if we would get this, if we would understand just that passage of Scripture, one verse that Paul gave to Timothy so long ago, it would really transform our lives. Because when we woke up in the morning, we wouldn't say, I have a terrible boss. Because God is our boss. Now, I realize there are human bosses that aren't very good, <laughs> and, and they might even be terrible. There are human bosses that are evil. But even if we're working for one of them, if we understand the greater reality that we're working for God, we can make the best of that situation. And maybe the best of that situation is to leave that situation, go to another one. But my dad used to tell me, it's not in the Bible, but it's a pretty good truth, that the best preparation for your next job is doing a good job of where you are now. And, and so I... I have studied whatever it was that I was doing at the time. I mean, I'll tell you what, I pumped gas when I was a second-year seminary student. I'll bet you you can't pump gas better than me. I mean, one of the things that we used to do back in those days, people actually had to pay with money. You know, they would hand the money out the, the door of their car, and it was a full-service thing in New Jersey, and, we, and they'd say, I want five bucks. You know, I'd go, Shh, I didn't even have to look. Oh, four ninety-eight, And then, you, you know, the last two things. You worked hard at whatever it was. That's what we're talking about today. Study to find yourself approved. Work to find yourself approved. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Now, the other thing that I've learned is whatever skill that you have, whatever skill that you develop through study, if it's an honorable one, and we're going to talk about that the very last scripture, it's something that God will honor. When I learned carpentry skills, God honored it in this way. Um, we were able to buy a house back in, I forget what year it was, but when we were in Cincinnati, we lived in an apartment. In fact, we had lived in apartments most of our married life. And, and then this house came on the market, and it was what you call your fixer-upper, you know? Uh, I mean, it, literally, it cost less than half of the average sale price of a home in that area, and it was worth less than half of the sale price of the average home in that area. But Nancy and I knew something. Because of the skills that Lowry and Frank had taught me, I was able to do a lot of work that wasn't going to cost us money. And since that's the only house we could afford, we moved from an apartment into a junkie house. You know, and we've worked on it for a couple of years. And when we sold it, we had enough money to buy a nice house when we moved back to Pennsylvania. And then we started having children and the house became too small. There was one bathroom and three women. That's not a good combination. 
And, and so, um, and I was there too. I mean, I'm a guy. But so there were four of us, but the three women was the part that was the problem. So anyway, we decided we needed a bigger house and we couldn't afford a bigger house. So guess what we did? We just added a second story to the house because we had skills. And because we had friends, I'll be honest with you, a lot of friends came and helped us too. But it cost us so much less because of the skill that was developed. I studied carpentry, and it has, pra- well, it has helped in every area of my life, even here. This building, a lot of the things that happened here happened because of the skills that I developed when I worked with Laurie and Frank. So, study. It's not Bible study. I mean, the fifth thing on the list is not Bible study. I mean, Bible study is the most important kind of study, and we're going to find that out in a minute. But any study that will equip you to do something that honors God is important in our lives. And that's why the word is just study in the fifth, you know, of the seven key areas that are going to give us the time of our life. It's study, Bible study in specific, but study in general is important. So the next scripture, it's only one verse again. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And when we turn to Romans 12, verse 2, what we find out about is what study is supposed to do in here. Okay? It says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So, if we don't study God's word as our primary textbook for our lives, we will never have the renewal in our minds, in our thinking, that God says is necessary for what to happen for us to be transformed. You see, the world might say that what we think doesn't matter, but the world is wrong because what we think matters ultimately because what we think, it says in the scripture, as a person thinks in their mind or in their heart, so they are. So if I think rightly, I'll be right, righteous in my life. If I think lovingly, I will eventually exhibit love in my life. If I think in godly ways, I will eventually be like God in my everyday life. And so will we all. And so God tells us through the Apostle Paul in his letter to Rome that we aren't to copy the behavior of the world. And here's the thing. If we don't intentionally go about our lives studying the Word of God... The world is going to tell us what to believe and tell us what to do and tell us what's right. Actually, everything's right in the world these days. Nothing's wrong. You know, that's sort of, you know, the world tells us that it's wrong to say things are wrong and that's wrong, right? (laughs) But that's the point. If we don't know what the Word of God says, we can't even compare. One One of my favorite quotes that's not in the Bible is a guy named Socrates who lived long before Jesus. He said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And Jesus would agree with that because what Jesus told us to do was to look around, to think, to evaluate, to examine. And, and on Tuesday night, this past Tuesday, there was a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event over at Mars High School. And the, and the speaker, Sean Harper, said something so powerful about this whole thing about being copying the world and not copying the world. And actually, the Greek says, don't be molded. Like the world wants to mold you, like jello. That's what the world's trying to do. It's to mold us into its mold. But what Sean Harper said is simply this, that if we don't have an identity, we will have an image. If we don't have an identity, we will have an image. And what he followed up by saying, if we aren't identified in Jesus Christ, if we don't have Jesus Christ as the anchor of our lives, then somebody else is going to tell us who to be. If we don't know who we are, 
in Jesus Christ, somebody else is going to tell us who to be. And we all know that. I mean, you go to school. If you go to school, you know that people have labels for everybody, right? And there's the, I don't even know what all the labels are these days. When I went to school, there was the jocks and the nerds and the band geeks and this and that, right? There were all these different things. I don't know what they are today. And then there were drug addicts and there was this and that. And all of those labels portray an image. I mean, I could say ugly, and for you that might mean a certain thing. I could say beautiful, and for you that might mean a certain thing. I could say winner, and for you that might mean a certain thing. Or loser, and that might mean a certain thing. But all of those are images. They're not identities. But if we don't study the Word of God to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, loved us so much that He died on the cross for us and rose from the dead for us and reigns in power over us and prays for us, then we're going to believe what other people tell us. One of the best ways... To grow more and more like Jesus is to understand what Jesus did for us. Jesus, the son of the living God who was in heaven, he was in the perfection of heaven. And one day God said, time, it's time, son. And he came as a human being, as a little baby. We're going to celebrate that, you know, during the Christmas season. And he grew up to be a man who was perfect. He, he never sinned. And he knew who he was. In fact, people tried to convince him not to die on the cross. And he said, how can I not? That's why I came. And if we study the word of God, what happens is we identify with Jesus Christ and we become followers of Jesus Christ. And when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we stop following the ways of the world. That doesn't mean we don't live in the world. Of course we do. That doesn't mean we don't go to school. Yes, we go to school. It doesn't mean we don't go. We do go to work. We do all the things that we always have done, but we do them differently. Because we're not anchored in the world. We're anchored in Jesus Christ. And, and what... Romans 12, 2 reminds us is this book is the book that's going to give us the truth so that we can be molded to Jesus and his desire for us. You know, when people start saying, you know, it doesn't, you know human beings are just the same as all other animals or there's no difference. The first thing that happens in my brain is I go, Genesis 1, let us create them in the image and likeness of ourselves. God said, we're going to create human beings in our likeness. So that means I'm created, you're created in the image of God. And so when somebody says that I'm the same as a chipmunk, I'm not. That's sort of funny. I mean, chipmunk, okay. Right? I'm not the same as a chimpanzee, I'm not, and you aren't either. We are, we are human beings created in the image of the living God. And if we don't know that, we'll let the world out there tell us that we don't matter or that, you know, that life is not important or has no meaning or purpose. It's crazy, but people are believing a lot of crazy stuff these days. And so the last thing that we're going to look at this morning from the Word of God about how we're supposed to study and think and live is a, another passage from the Apostle Paul. This time it's two verses. It's from Philippians chapter 4. And, and what Paul says there is just incredible. Well, actually, a, a lot of stuff in here is pretty incredible. But, you know, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. You see, Paul's drawing this letter to a close. And he, whenever, you know, the one final thing, the most important thing, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Fix your thoughts. What does that mean? It means to study. To study and reflect on the things that are what? True. 
and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, here's the thing. Out in the world, the world's going to tell us a lot of things are true that aren't true. The world's going to tell us a lot of things that are admirable that aren't admirable. The world's going to tell us a lot of things that are excellent that aren't excellent. So how do we know the difference? Right here, this book. This book teaches us what is true. And, and what is honorable and what is right and admirable, all of those things. And so that's why I keep saying we need to study the Word of God because it's the standard. In fact, when I'm out in the world and I hear something out in the world that contradicts this book, then I know the world's wrong. I don't, have to, I don't even have to think about it because I've already thought about it. I've fixed my thoughts on the things that are true. And so the false becomes false. And I don't, that doesn't mean I, I'm not tempted to do it. That doesn't mean that sometimes I don't fall down and actually do it. But I know it's wrong. You see, in the world where there's nothing wrong, there's no growth. Because if I don't know, what did, what did God say to Joshua about the instruct book of instruction? Don't deviate to the left or to the right. Just keep following it straight down the middle. If we deviate to the left or to the right from what this book says then what we're doing is we're guaranteeing that we can't become all that God called us and created us to be. Paul says, fix your thoughts. Now, the cool thing is, that doesn't just mean, again, it doesn't just mean that we study the Bible, you know, 12 hours a day and don't do anything else. Because when I was a carpenter, I was an honorable carpenter. I was an excellent carpenter. And you might be a, a mother that stays home and rears your children, and, and that's an admirable and honorable thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to do. In fact, last night I said, and, and I'm not joking, I, I really do think that one of the reasons my mother didn't live as long as many women do is because my brother Ken and I were tough. You know, I mean, we gave her, a, I mean, she had gray hair when she was 35. I was born when she was 35. Okay. And, and, and so Ken and I, in fact, I always said if Ken and I had liked each other when we were growing up, we would have probably blown up Gypsy. But we, we didn't work together. We worked against each other. And, we were, and when we worked against each other, guess what that did? It hurt my mother. And, and so as we think about honorable things and admirable things and excellent things, it's not just what you find in the Bible. It's what we do in everyday life. And you, and you can be honorable and admirable and excellent at playing football, at wiring a light you know, fixture at digging a ditch. There's pretty much nothing that's good that we can do that, that can't be honorable or excellent if we do it as unto the Lord. And that goes back to, you know, Colossians chapter 3. And the longer we live, the more this book ought to be in our heads and then into our hearts and our spirits. And so that when somebody says something that's absurd out in the world, we don't have to say, huh, I wonder if that's true. We can automatically say, that's not true. And that doesn't mean we become judgmental. I mean, that's one of the things that is challenging about being a follower of Jesus in this day and age. People are saying so much stuff that's just ludicrous. But you just can't say, hey, that's ludicrous. Because then there's no conversation. But one of the things we can do is we can say, did you ever think about the logical outcome of what you're doing? If you continue to do this, where will you end up? I mean... Think about what you're doing in your life right now. If it's a good thing, the logical outcome of a good thing is a good thing. <laughs> if you're doing a bad thing, the logical outcome of a bad thing is, is death. Sin always leads to death. Sometimes to physical death, 
always to spiritual death unless we are renewed through Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and you live out there in the world that's been trying to mold you into jello for all these years, you might say, well, you know, that's your opinion. No, it isn't my opinion. In fact, my opinion doesn't even matter. I always say 50 cents in my opinion will get you a cup of coffee some places. Usually four bucks if it's Starbucks. But, you know, the bottom line is it doesn't matter what I think. But what does matter is the truth. And we live in a culture that says there is no truth. Duh. Yes, there is. Okay. I don't believe in gravity, but if I, follow, if I take a step right here, I'm going to still hit the cement, right? If I don't believe in gravity, it doesn't matter. It's true. If I don't believe that a gun will kill me and I put it up to my heart and pull the trigger, I'll still be dead. There are things that are true. And there are spiritual things that are true. And they're actually truer than the physical things. And so... The, the, the commitment for today says this. I will invest time in God's word so my life will pay dividends this week. I will invest time in God's word so my life will pay dividends this week. Here's what I know. Every single one of us makes excuses for not reading the Bible. I do. I say I don't have enough time. I, I don't have enough time to read the Bible. In fact, I woke up this morning. I said, you know, God, I just don't have enough time to read the Bible. So guess what I did? I read my Bible. And I didn't just read the four verses that we read this morning. I'm reading in the Old Testament right now. I'm reading about Solomon, as a matter of fact. And I've read about Solomon being wise. And, and what I'm going to read about next week, because I've already read it before, is that Solomon stopped being wise. Because why? Because he stopped following God. When you stop following God, you stop being wise. But if we say we don't have enough time, how much time do we all have each day? 24 hours. And, you know, and some people say a verse a day keeps the devil away. And I guess a verse a day does keep the devil away to some degree. If you, you know, if you take it into your mind and then into your heart and then you let the Holy Spirit work, that one verse could change your life. But one verse a day, it will take you like many, many lifetimes in order to know what the whole Bible says. And it's important for us to know the whole Bible. So some people say, well, I can't read. That's a legitimate concern. If you can't read, here's the good news. You don't have to because you can get a phone or a computer, or an iPad, or whatever. I guess they're now called tablets. Not supposed to do the Apple thing, right? Okay, but whatever they are. And you can go on to, you know, version, or there's like dozens of Bible apps now. And what you can actually do is turn on the, the, the Bible, turn on the app, and then you can go to Luke chapter 2, and it will start and just push the audio thing, and it will read it to you. It will actually read the Bible to you. I do that a lot when I'm in the car, so I don't have to waste my time. And, and that's what they we're talking about, the time of our life. So I'll listen to the Bible. And, and the Word of God gets into me that way. And they actually have videos of books of the Bible out there now. And, as, and I had to get the word from Brad last night. But some of them are cheesy, okay? I'll admit you that. They're cheesy. I mean, whenever Jesus walks on water, it doesn't look like he's walking on water. Whenever, you know. But the bottom line is you can watch the Bible. You can listen to the Bible. You can have somebody else read it to you. Go to a Bible study. The reason I'm imploring all of us to study the Word of God is because unless we know the truth, we can't be faithful warriors for God. Unless we know the truth, we can't be faithful pastors for God. Unless we know the truth, we can't have our minds renewed so that we'll be conformed to the will of God in our life instead of the way of the world in our life. Unless we know what God says is true, we'll never know what's true. And we won't know what's right and honorable and excellent, praiseworthy, all of those things. But once we do, that plus the Holy Spirit changes us 
And so as we go out this week, if we will do what this commitment says, invest some time in God's word every day so our life will pay dividends this week, it will. Do you realize there are more than 2,000 verses about money in the Bible? And if you follow what the the Bible teaches about money, you will be, (laughs) believe it or not, eventually out of debt and generous. If you you read what the Bible says about money, Relating with other people, as Pastor Brad showed us so effectively last week, you'll have a good relationship with God and other people. If we read what the Bible says, even about such a simple thing as rest, we will be more rested and more able to do all the other things that will make the time of our life really the time of our life. So, it's very simple, and I know you'll come up with an excuse, and so will I. Do it anyway. You know, I mean, you wake up some days and you go, I don't feel like going to school. If you had my mom, you know, most days she would say, I don't care what you feel like. Get out of bed. My dad, even more so. I remember one day I didn't feel like going to work. You know what happened? My dad drove me to work. I told him, I, my, I, it's a long story, but I hated my dad for about three hours that day. And then after three hours, I realized that he had done a great service to me by making me go to work. I don't miss very many days of work. Now, if I'm, you know, I have pneumonia, I've missed work for that. Got my appendix out, I missed a day for that. But you see, the truth is, there's even stuff in here about work. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you're real and that you're true and that you're good. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and for its availability to us. I mean, we, we can have it video, audio, written in so many different forms. And all around the world, there are people who serve you that can't even get a copy of the Bible. So today, God, our prayer is simple. Let us just invest time. Because we know that if we invest time in your word this week, it will pay dividends for now and forever. God, I pray for any who are in the room today, who haven't yet taken the step of saying, yes, Jesus, be my Savior and Lord, that even right now, in this very moment, they would do that. God, that they would say, yes, my life has not been what it's supposed to be, and I want this new life that Pastor Chris has been talking about, uh, really talks about all the time. God, I pray that each person in the room today who hasn't yet trusted Jesus will do so right now and say, take away the sin of my life and be my Savior, save me from sin and death, be my Lord, my owner, my master. And God, for all the rest of us, I pray that we will recognize that the only way not to be conformed to the world is to be conformed to you. And we pray that your spirit would give us the power to do that day by day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.